Hello, everyone. This is another episode of Tomahawk Talk. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and slowly but surely, sports are returning to our television screens. I'm happy to say we're going to be giving some time to the English Premier League today, a competition that doesn't get enough love at V89. Although I do know some of our wonderful reporters that provide some great info on the league during their sports updates, which we have not had all summer, uh, and now the Premier League is, is kicking off again in the summer, not something we're used to seeing. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the show. As always, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Gary Putnick. Gary is pretty new to Premier League fandom, but I trust him to hold his own in our discussion today. Gary, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I didn't really. I enjoyed the. I enjoyed seeing Liverpool back out on the pitch this weekend, even though they did draw with Everton. But I didn't choose Liverpool just because they were the best team. I'll get into more about that later on. But how have you been doing? How have you enjoyed the Premier League being back? Oh, I loved it. And I know there's been there's a lot of question marks whether or not the, they should be playing or the conditions on the, that they're playing under. But it. Being honest, it just felt great to see Chelsea back on the screen and also just waking up and seeing Rebecca Lowe on NBC Sports. And uh, I, I, I could not be happier. And I, I wish there were fans allowed to be there. And I don't know when there will be fans allowed to be there because uh, now we're all starting to realize that this is going to affect next season as well. Um, but like I said, I was just excited to see it back. And uh, back again on the show tonight is our producer, Sebastian Angel Riano a Tottenham Hotspur supporter, and that's all I'll say. But but how are you doing, Sebastian? That's all I'll say. Um, I've been doing fine. Um, it's been a, it was a busy weekend for me. Uh, I couldn't watch as much Premier League football as I wanted to. Uh, but now, um, while we're doing the show, we'll be watching uh, Leicester versus Brighton. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm ready to get on with the show. So it's, um, I'm, I'm now back for two weeks in a row, which is, feels good to be back. Missed you guys a lot, like I said last week, and um, feeling good, feeling good. Yeah, we we are recording during Leicester Brighton, which doesn't have a whole lot of implications on the stuff we'll talk about later on. I know Leicester's in third place. They're not really in danger of falling out of the top four. I think Brighton are 15th and aren't really in major danger. Um, that, that sounded good. Major danger of relegation. <laughs> uh, but maybe if they lose a couple in a row – you have to start watching out for them, but we're going to talk about the Premier League. We're going to finish the show with that because we're going to talk a lot about it. Like, cause like I said, we don't get that chance that often. It's usually when hockey rolls around, I know all three of us are hockey fans and we get a chance to talk soccer. Uh, we're going to take advantage of it because um, let's just say uh, maybe our predecessors at V89 didn't quite give it the time of day. Hockey but, was illegal for the longest time at so V89. True. And we'll talk hockey as soon as the Stanley Cup playoffs get mm-hmm. back underway and, and Gary gets to root on his Panthers, who were, you know, uh, I guess grandfathered into this NHL restart. But anyways, that's a topic <laughs> for another show. We do have some news regarding Major League Baseball, which uh, we, we've mentioned the negotiations between the owners and the Players Association on previous episodes of the show. Uh, I think we've all sided with the, uh, with the players, not the owners, <laughs> in these negoci- negotiations. And at the end of the day, the two sides could not come to an agreement, which doesn't sound good and it's not good, but there will be baseball played. At least that's the way it's looking now. We don't know anything as of yet officially, uh, but it looks like it'll be a 60 game season. This comes after the two sides could not come to an agreement and going back to the March agreement, commissioner Rob Manfred has the ability 
to unilaterally impose a season. Uh, so it looks like that'll be a 60-game season, full prorated salaries, uh, no universal DH, uh, no expanded playoffs. It, it'll be a basic season, but just 60 games. We have no idea what the schedule will look like or how the league will be formatted. Uh, but as long as the players agree to the health protocols that were laid out by Major League Baseball last night, I think they have until about 5 o'clock today. It's 2 o'clock p.m. at the time of recording, so the odds are there might be an announcement or further news about the situation by the time you're listening to this. Um, but as long as those health protocols can be worked out, and honestly, that should, if, they're, if they're debating anything, that should be the thing that it gets debated. Uh, we're we're going to see Major League Baseball. Gary, were you shocked or are you shocked that it looks like at the end of this tunnel, there is a Major League Baseball season at the end? No, because once I found out that the MLB could kind of intervene and just say, hey, you're going to play 60 games and that's that, I said, we're probably going to get 60 games because neither of these sides are going to be able to agree because everyone's going to keep sliding in one little thing that angers the other side. Like how the players said, we want 70 games. The owners didn't like that. The owners said, come back with 60. And the players said, no, we don't like that because we can't file for grievances afterwards. So right. the players said, we're going to take the 60, but we're going to be able to file grievances. So I'm happy with the decision that they made. And it's something. It's just something at this point. Yeah, the owners, they during negotiations, they put out the same offer in, in terms of financial the financial aspect of the deal mm-hmm. the same offer four times with just a different amount of games they said you know we'll play this long of the season but we'll do a 50 50 revenue split and the players were like why don't we do that but with full prorated salaries and the owners like here you guys want full prorated salaries let's do it but we'll only play 50 games and then the owner said here why don't we play 70 games but we'll give you like 70 percent of your salary which would equate to about full prorated salaries for 50 games i mean the owners just were not budging and we're not negotiating in good faith in, in terms of the money. It, and go ahead, Gary. It also seems like they don't assume that the Players Association would read between the lines and read kind of the underlying ideas like, hey, you can pl- we're going to play these, this amount of game, this big number, but you're only going to get half the salary that you deserve. So they really just were kind of undercutting them every single time. And it was so annoying to watch because both sides at the end of the day, what they were fighting for was money, honestly. The players right. wanted their full salary. The owners didn't want to pay them their full salary. Not their full salary. It is a a cut salary because there's less work. Yes, yes. But like the full amount of their salary that they would earn for playing the amount of games that they will play. So the owners were just trying to undercut them at every single moment because once again, both sides, they want money. Yeah, and and the players, like that's that's the one thing. Anyone, and I have seen some people on social media, um, but anyone that was siding with the owners over the players, you know, they kept saying, well, the players need to take a cut. They, they are taking a cut. Yes. When they signed these contracts, they were expected to play 162 games in 2020, and that's not happening. They're already losing that time to work, and they understand that. They're not asking. You know, Bryce Harper's not asking, asking for the $26 million he was scheduled to make this year. They just want the amount of money that for the amount of games they play. A day's work for yeah. a day's play. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and, and the and we said it here, you know, the owners are they can afford it. You know, I don't care about billion billionaires. And, and I think I also made the argument that the owners could, you know, literally own this team and make money off these teams until the day they die. Where where players have mm-hmm. you know the longest careers are only twenty years, and we never see that anymore. You know, most guys only have a couple years to make as much money as they can, and league minimum is five hundred thousand dollars. So. 
you know, that, that is a, a good amount of money. Don't get me wrong, but you play three or four years in the big leagues at league minimum, you know, you walk away with a little over $2 million and, and, and you know, they don't have long is what all I'm saying, but Sebastian, we don't know the details yet. Right. So we know it's probably going to be 60 games. There has been no official announcement. Who knows? Maybe by the time you listen to this, uh, we'll have learned that uh, something fell apart and there is no season. Uh, but if there is a season, the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, our team, uh, I think they're, they're really set up to succeed. You know, you, you look at the small amount so, of games man. and the high amount of variance we can see and the teams that have the most depth and the best pitching staffs, and more specifically the best bullpens, I think are going to be set up to succeed in 2020. Uh, but what say you? We always say that the that the baseball season is a marathon or not a sprint, but um, I feel like this season is the complete opposite, where um, it is a sprint, not a marathon, because you know your strongest arms you can you can play uh, you can work them really hard for not a long period of time, and even with an expanded playoff, um, those uh, those guys will probably see still less play and work and just. Um, general fatigue on the arms over the course of, you know, uh, a shortened season. And because of that, I actually believe the opposite, Brett, where while there is some crazy depth, I don't think depth really has as much impact on this game than it does or on this season as it does in uh, a full length season, because you can, if you just have superstars that can uh, play enough games, it's, it's not a matter of like um, having a ton of like really good player, like, B plus players instead of A plus players over this concentrated period of time, I think um, you'll see superstar teams uh, or just teams with, with with guys who can pitch seven innings uh, two or three times a week. I, well, with, I think you'll see. With the depth argument, the uh, the teams that have that depth will succeed because say what is it a bright? Let's say for the Phillies, if Bryce Harper goes down. And that season becomes a lot less, and he doesn't have as much ground to get back afterwards. Like in 162 games, if you miss 20 games, that's fine. You still got 142 left. But if you miss 20 of this, you miss a third of the season. So your team is going to be that much more of a disadvantage. So any little injury could really just nuke a season almost for a team. And, and let me be a little more clear. When, when I talk, talk in terms of depth, the I don't see many starting pitchers being able to work seven innings this year, or even if they're able to work seven innings, I think a lot of teams will opt like will, will opt to just have their starters go have four or five inning starts because they're going to have expanded rosters. We, we pretty much know that for sure. We don't know how quite how big the rosters are going to be. Um, but if you look at a team like the Rays, you'd have Blake Snell go out there for four innings, strike out 12 guys, and then turn it over to the lights out bullpen to pitch the last five. And, uh, I, I think that's where the and the Yankees have a have a damn good bullpen too and, and a really good starting rotation with with Garrett Cole. Um, we're not going to make predictions on this episode, but in terms of how this season shapes out and what it's going to mean for the players, I really don't know how I feel about it. You know, when when things first started, when spring training was shut down, the, it was a week away from opening day. I was thinking, okay, well they'll push spring training back a couple of weeks, maybe a month, you know, we'll get started in May and it'll be a weird season, but it won't be crazy. Obviously a lot has changed since then. We're going to be starting in mid to late July. 
uh, and this doesn't resemble what a 162-game season is going to be for more than one reason. We're not sure how many teams are going to be able to play in their home ballparks. There most definitely will not be fans allowed, at least at the start of the season. Maybe when you get into the postseason, that'll change. Um, but with the way numbers are, are looking here in Florida, I'm not convinced of anything. But I don't know. Uh, Gary, do you think – do you think it's the right time for baseball to return or do you think maybe it, it would be in the best interest to, to scrap the season? I think it's fine for baseball to return. I think a 60 game season does enough justice really. I know it's not 162. It's not what we all would like, but it's like I said, it's something, but I want to touch back on the players and this and the pitching rotation stuff. You guys, we're going to have these guys go shorter innings because they're going to be sloppy. They're not going to have seen game action in a while. And I can tell you from, watching the players in the South Florida Collegiate Baseball League for the past few weeks. We're two weeks into the season down here, and these guys are still sloppy. There are still a lot of errors in these games, and the pitching is just not where it should be for these guys. And these guys are high-quality collegiate players, and they're just not looking like that right now. So you're gonna, it's going to take a while for these guys to get reacclimated to game speed. Yeah, uh, it's – the spring training, I think with the current deal, they would re report back to spring training on July 1st. I don't know if that would be at their um, their team's home stadium, not spring training stadium, because I don't know how much they, they want these guys traveling. They haven't worked out what the health and safety protocols are going to be. And, and again, we might find that out here in a few hours like where the NBA has got this whole bubble where you can't leave and you can opt out. And I know the in major league baseball, you'll be able to opt out as well, but I don't know. It is uh it is interesting. And hopefully, you know, we learn more. And by the time we have the next episode, maybe we have a couple of weeks, we can do some, some season predictions. I don't remember if we did a major league baseball preview episode while we were still doing shows on campus. I don't know if we ever got to it. I know we were about a week and a half away from opening day when we did our last episode. But, uh, yeah, baseball could be right around the corner. I hope so as well. I hope so, too. The, uh, the uh, next thing on our list is the Talladega was this past oh, – it was actually on Monday. I don't know. We usually record these on Monday. We're recording on a Tuesday this week. Uh, it was supposed to be on Sunday, but some weather pushed it to Monday. And uh, got to talk about Bubba Wallace. So, uh, Bubba Wallace is – is someone correct me if I'm wrong uh, – in the Cup Series, is NASCAR's only black driver? He is NASCAR's only black uh, Cup driver in the uh, Cup Series, yes. Yeah. And so Drives for Richard led, Petty Motorsports. That's right. That's right. The 43 car. Um, and, and he kind of led this charge in, in recent weeks to ban the Confederate flag from NASCAR events. A successful charge at that. And uh, then at Talladega over the weekend, uh, there was a noose found in his garage um, noose intimidation has a very long and dark history in the United States, and, and it's something that should not be taken lightly. I know NASCAR is investigating, and I know the FBI is investigating as well. Um, but that led to the rest uh, of NASCAR and everyone that was at Talladega on Monday uh, to really just show all the support for, for Bubba Wallace and for his team and, and for what he's going through because – I can only imagine the, the, the threats he's getting after the Confederate flag uh, issue. And uh, it, it, it was really inspiring to see, though, on Monday. Uh, I know someone that, that watched the entire thing, or at least watched more of it, what, what went on pre-race with, with Bubba Wallace and the rest of the drivers? 
Well, the um, the drivers all uh, rallied around Bubba when he first made the push for um, the Confederate flag to be banned from uh, NASCAR events um, uh, last week and, or a couple weeks ago. And uh, today or yesterday, they all made sure to rally behind him once again by pushing his car up to the front of the grid um, before the race and having the uh, national anthem ceremony be around that 43 car uh, to really rally around one of their own. It was a, a great moment for motorsport, I believe. Um, NASCAR has NASCAR, its racing, the racing community as a whole has made a consistent push to really um, separate itself from the, the um, identity that people have for the sport of being one filled with um, ignorant, hateful people. And in my experience, um, I know that the motorsport community uh, understands that NASCAR is not full of those people and that those people are no longer are, are have not been welcome at NASCAR events for a very long time. It does still exist. Um, the pit lane is a very, very high tech area um, in any race for any for any type of um, racing category. And uh, we know that there's cameras everywhere because you want to keep an eye on your stuff. And um, there's no doubt in my mind that the person who was responsible for this will be caught and, um, you know, brought to justice, essentially. Um, I was immensely proud um, to be a racing fan, an NASCAR fan yesterday, seeing how um, the community there at Talladega kind of rallied around um, a man who decided to, you know, make a push for a change that absolutely should happen in NASCAR. Uh, that um, should have happened at NASCAR a while ago, but we're finally seeing progress in more ways than one, I believe. And it makes me immensely happy. Petty has not, Richard Petty, the owner of uh, Richard Petty Motorsports, a NASCAR legend, uh, of course, um, has not been allowed to um, go to attend NASCAR races, you know, for his own health. He's an older guy and yeah. um, getting sick would not be ideal for him. But he made sure to, he, he said, I just want to go and hug my driver. Um, he, he made absolutely sure that he was behind his drive for 100%. Um, there have been, I saw a few uh, days ago, a picture floating around of, of Petty driving around with a, um, a Confederate flag uh, decades ago while he was still racing. Um, and um, over, over the years, it's, it's been shown that he is, you know, um, he sings a different tune nowadays. He, um, absolutely uh was incredibly supportive of uh his driver um and it showed it really did show he was um there's very very emotional pictures um coming out of that came out on nascar yesterday and on the new york times today there was an article um on smack dab on the front page with um you know there was a, a hashtag out on the grass right in front of the grandstands that said i stand with bubba and you can see that right on the front page and it's 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 good to see um, how strong and robust the response was after, you know, the news breaking Sunday night. It made me happy. Yeah. In his interview uh, on, on Fox after the race uh, in front of the few fans that were allowed there, that, that was honestly one of the best moments of the broadcast. And right before that though, a crazy finish to the race, um, a, a crash, right? A crash in the final lap and a crash, another crash right there. As the uh, as they crossed the finished line, I believe um, Bla well Blaney won the race, and then uh, Sebastian, a local guy from Tampa, finishes third uh, after uh, 
the the rear of his car crosses the finish line. It was uh, definitely a, a thrilling way to, to finish that race. Um, I saw this poll. Uh, you know, NASCAR races are like professional wrestling. When they're most of the time, they're like, all right, it's it's, it's kind of whatever for 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 fans that aren't diehard NASCAR fans. But right. when it's good, it's amazing. And yeah. last and yesterday's race was a was a really really good race. Um, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I loved it. I watched Arlington when, when NASCAR came back and I was like, yeah, I was like, let me try to get into this. I, I never have before. And, and again, it wasn't really my thing. I'm not a diehard. I actually enjoy reading more about motorsport than I do watching it. Like reading some of the journalism that goes on for some reason, I just enjoy it. Um, but watching Talladega yesterday, I didn't watch the whole race, but watched bits and pieces. And I watched the end and it was, uh, yeah, it was incredible. Uh, I hope, uh, there were 56 lead changes yesterday, Brett. Yeah. It was there was fireworks all the way through that race. It was great. And, and and Bubba Wallace led with like at one point with like 12 laps to go. I think he was in the lead, and he, and he was up there really until the end. So until the end, he ran ran out of fuel on the last yeah. lap of caution, and um, a driver I'm blanking on his name, uh, Corey Lajoy, Lajoy, uh, made sure to to push him over uh, the line into the pits so that he would remain on the lead lap all the way through the end of the race, even as he yeah. ran out of fuel. It was phenomenal. For Bubba and running out of gas, how do how does that happen? Because aren't you supposed to kind of – isn't your team supposed to be doing all these calculations? It's all about everything? strategy. It's all about it, strategy. You're, but he wasn't the only driver either. Yeah, a, no, a few no, drivers. But I'm saying, like, for everyone, like, how do you kind of run out of gas? Like, shouldn't you be knowing, like, hey, we got to do this Pitting. here and this then? pitting takes time and if yeah. you can stay out longer than everybody else and you're you're essentially making a gamble um mm -hmm. you can you there is a ton of you know uh number crunching and bean counting but at the end of the day um this happened uh, back in the 2000s when uh formula one still had refueling um you know if you stayed out just a bit longer you might be able to like you know make it to another caution or uh, or just you know hang on until the end of the race um what you would used to see and what you used to see and you still see it today is um, during caution laps when you want to stay out, you'll turn off the car in the corners and coast all the way through the corners and then turn it back on during the straights so you um, maximize kind of the mileage out of your vehicle. Would not uh, have guessed I, that. <laughs> but, um, I had no idea. But uh, what you, um, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, you take a gamble and mm -hmm. it doesn't pay, it sometimes doesn't pay off. Yeah. Um, Fuel is a is a delicate thing to to balance around. In Formula One, um, you know there is no more refueling in the current um, iteration of the sport. Um, but even then, like at the end of the race, you're not allowed to be like, you're not allowed to have a dry tank essentially, mm. um, because they need to test your fuel to see if you didn't put any, you know, if you're not using rocket fuel, basically. Mm. Um, oh, gotcha. But um, it's just a it's like it's as simple as just a gamble that didn't pay off, really. Mm -hmm. No, I enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Because I have, and maybe I'm I'm one of the naive people that's like, oh, there's not really any strategy in racing. And uh, I'm I, I was obviously wrong. And in watching Talladega, yeah, I, I enjoyed that aspect of the race. Moving on, like I said, we are watching uh, Leicester City and Brighton and Hove Albion play live right now on this Tuesday afternoon. They're uh, scoreless right now. This isn't live, so I don't really need to be giving you live updates. You could look <laughs> up the score. The match will be over by the time they're listening to this. Um, but let's talk about the Premier League. So 
They returned last week in front of no fans as part of Project Restart. Every club had like nine or ten matches left to play when uh, the when the league was suspended back in March, as along with everything else. Um, the Premier League. So if you're not familiar with European soccer at all, I'll just give you guys like a quick rundown. 20 teams in the Premier League. It's the top division in England. So all these teams are in England. Well, there's a couple teams in the pyramid that are in Wales. Um, But basically how the English football pyramid works, there's clubs all throughout England, and then there's four true full professional leagues. You got the fourth league, which is League Two, then League One, then the um, championship, and then the top division is the Premier League. 20 teams in the Premier League, no divisions, no conferences, no playoffs. So every team plays the same schedule. You play all other teams in the league twice, once at home and once away. The team who finishes at the top of the standings at the end of the 38-game season is the champion. The bottom three teams get relegated to the championship, and the championship sends three teams back up to the Premier League to do it all over again next year. Now, if you're just like purely an American sports fan, uh, that might sound like a lunacy, but uh, we're going to talk about the Premier League, the teams we support, how we came to support them. And, and maybe if you're trying to get involved you know, and, and pick a team rather than just watch the league for what it is, uh, give you some, some advice as to who you could select. Um, but uh, Gary, I guess I'll throw it over to you to start. Uh, you're a Liverpool fan. Mm-hmm. How did that come to be? And if anyone w- for some reason would want to become a Liverpool fan, w- why should they? Okay, so I was wanting to get into uh, soccer a few years ago. It's now about a year and a half ago. And I was talking to my friends who are a lot more knowledgeable about the game. And I was saying, hey, I want to get into it. Who should I follow? And at first, one of my friends who picked up, he luckily picked up Leicester the year before they won the title in 2015. Uh, He said, go for a random team. It could be a lot of fun. Do what I did with Leicester. I was like, I don't know if I want to do that because it's a bit tougher to kind of follow these smaller clubs, especially not being from that area. So and they're not on other, TV as much in the U.S. Ex- exactly. So uh, my other friends were saying, follow one of the big six teams. And I said, that sounds like a better idea to me because that'll be a lot easier to follow. And so I was going through the teams and I kind of came down to the, the decision. It's either going to be Arsenal or Liverpool. And oh God. Yeah, so I I don't know. I just didn't like I didn't like Manchester United. I didn't like Man City. I didn't like Tottenham. Eh, who else was the other teams? But I eventually came down to uh, Arsenal and Liverpool. And my other my one friend in our group that's an Arsenal fan, he said, "I don't know if it's the best idea to choose <laughs> Arsenal. It's you're gonna you might hate yourself after a bit of watching. And now watching it for a year and a half, I understand why. So I chose I agree the, with him. Yes, I chose Liverpool because none of my friends in my friend group are Liverpool fans, and they're easy to follow. They have an American ownership group in Fenway Sports, and it and I've enjoyed it a lot. Obviously, I mean it's pretty easy. It's been pretty easy so far. They've won a Champions League. They are going to most likely win the league this year, barring any. No, don't say you don't have to say most likely, Gary. They're going to win the league. I don't know. I've I've watched all the highlights. I've watched Gerard slip. I've seen all the stuff. Yeah, now. This I don't. Is, I don't. This I don't, does I don't, not slip. I, this is uh, they've got it locked up. 
I, yeah, I just don't want to say anything. So I know, yeah, so it's been easy for me so far, but I'm going to stick through it and I'm enjoying it a lot so far. But I would, I would recommend people to join Liverpool. I mean, it's an easy, it's obviously an easy pick right now, but I think it's also easy because it's that American ownership group. And also LeBron's a part owner in the team as well. Yeah, and, and uh, there's very- like... <laughs> there's one or two likable players there's a lot I of really just players. one or two so even Klopp's pretty likable Jurgen Klopp's a pretty likable guy <laughs> um Sebastian I, I mentioned it at in the in the open but you're a Spurs fan and no we don't mean San Antonio Spurs we're talking about Tottenham Hotspur in North London so again give it your best shot to uh hype up uh Spurs so I started following the Premier League in high school um and I was not um, somebody who, like I am, I'm more in tune with uh, international soccer than uh, you might have been, Gary. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you weren't or anything, but my, my you know, my family's Colombian, um, just by the nature of, you know, being raised with a, a, a soccer ball um, at my feet at like age three, um, you tend to, you know, be more aware of the sport that isn't maybe as popular here in America as it is in South America. Um, you know, I followed the Colombian league a lot when I was a kid and you were, I was vaguely in tune with the European leagues. Of course, the champions league was something I tuned into, um, consistently, but when it came to actually picking a team, um, I really didn't have like a, like a starting point. So I started doing some homework, you know, um, started looking at the mid table clubs, seeing if I could find things that reflected, um, my clubs here in the States, you know, the, um, the Rays, the, the Lightning, the Buccaneers, um, if I could, especially, you know, I am a huge fan of the, the Rays farm system, seeing um, a team develop their players and grow them instead of buying them. Um, with that nature, you know, I knocked out some of the, uh, the big six and um, early, very early on, I knew what kind of club I didn't want to um, support or follow. And um, kind of right out of the gates i was like i definitely do not like arsenal there's just something about it was like i'm not a big fan of arsenal um didn't like the ownership didn't like the the team itself um but um whatever moving on i um eventually kind of came down to i was always kind of attracted to spurs um and their their farm system was kind of the thing that sold it to me you know um harry kane was a homegrown product um, Deli Alley was um, essentially a homegrown product, even though he was part of MK Dons. But um, point is, is that they kind of rode that spot where they were definitely the smallest of the six. Um, but like, still are, still, still are. I wouldn't deny that. Um, it's hard to. I mean, they do have a, a an English owner, which is not very common for. Um, any of the well, bigger English clubs. Isn't Stan, isn't Stan Kroenke one of the owners? Is, or isn't he part of the group? That's Arsenal. You're thinking of that's Arsenal. Arsenal. That's, okay, that was him. That's who my friend hates. Yep, that's uh-huh. fine. Never mind. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> English owner, like, um, homegrown. Um, it felt as close to something genuine as I could find in the um, the big six. And, uh, you know, that that small, it wasn't, it wasn't the, the size of the club that attracted me, but, you know, um, the history behind it. Uh, they had a Colombian player at the time, which they still do, Davinson Sanchez, which is someone who I, um, you know, if I were ever to buy like a, a numbered jersey, because I have a couple 
I have a couple blank jerseys, but the first number jersey that I would buy would either be a, a Sanchez jersey or a, a, a Vertonghen jersey. But um, have I? I mean, they've they've treated me very well for the uh, going on five years that I've been a, a fan. Um, it's been very exciting to see ups and downs, um, anxiety attacks abound. Um, you know, the highlight was definitely the uh, getting to the Champions League final. Maybe not being in the Champions League <laughs> final because that was uh, I was an up and shut and shut case within 11 minutes, which is pretty depressing. But um, you know, the glory that the, the the insanity that was the Ajax home and away series, the um, the Manchester City home and away series, um, seeing Lucas Mora go thermonuclear over the course of four games and play um, a perfect a perfect game against Ajax was amazing to watch. Um, with their new iteration under uh, Jose Mourinho, you know we have yet to see. Uh, the team, you know, take that next step and start winning some silverware this side of the 2010s. Um, but I'm, I'm, op- I'm consciously optimistic. There, there will be a change in identity. Um, Mourinho likes buying players. We haven't really bought players um, for huge lumps of money because we do not have oil money or, NB- or um, American ownership money. But I'm, I'm, this is my club and I'm immensely proud of the character of the club, you know, and um, I can't wait to, to next year, if everything goes well, um, I will, you know, hang my V89 hat and I will study abroad for my last or next to last season or semester at Florida State. And I'll be able to, um, and hopefully here's hoping that I'll be able to go to a, a Spurs game. Well, I'm, I'm glad you have the, the character for, uh, to hang your hat on uh, from Spurs because, you know, they haven't won any trophies since you've been supporting them. And my team, uh, one, of, one of Tottenham and one of Liverpool's rivals, Chelsea Football Club, located in West London. And really how I came to support Chelsea, I'll give it to you guys briefly. Um, my, I was like nine or ten years old. My rec soccer coach was a Chelsea fan, and he named our rec team Chelsea and so I went and looked up some of the players, started to look highlights on YouTube, play with the team on FIFA, and, and, and kind of fell in love. But wasn't really hard, like hardcore following the, the Premier League until high school. Um, I kind of got really into it again after the 2014 World Cup. I think a lot of American soccer fans did and, and how exciting that World Cup was down in Brazil. Uh, and it was also really easy to follow because the games were played at a normal time um, due, due to the, the, you know, the time zones. But anyways, got back into the Premier League and, and have been following Chelsea, watching almost every match. Since then, have gotten involved with North Florida Blues, a supporters group in Tallahassee. We get together to watch Chelsea. And you know, even now, we're starting to make sure we find a safe way to watch matches um, during COVID-19. So we are going to be doing some sort of meetup for the rest of the season. Uh, if you follow North Florida Blues on Facebook, you can find that out. No free ads. But uh you can you can check that out if you're interested. Not a call to action. I also forgot. Yeah, I forgot LFC Tallahassee. Quick, just shout out to them. That's who I. That's who's kind of helped like make soccer and watching it a lot easier is getting together with a group on the weekends and watching it. And they usually get together. They also they have a Facebook group too if you want to look that up. But yeah, a lot of great a lot of great groups in the Tallahassee area. But and we talk about the big six. So the, like I said, the Premier League's 20 teams, three of those teams get relegated every season. You know, some teams will go up and down, up and down every few years and, and get a taste of the Premier League every few seasons. 
but it's really hard for there to be an underdog story in the Premier League. Um, Usually, almost every time, um, one of the six big six clubs, which are Manchester United, Manchester City, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, and Liverpool, win the title. I believe only six or seven clubs have ever won the Premier League. Liverpool actually might be the six because they've never won it. The Premier League's existed since 1992. Before that, it was the old first division in England. Um, Liverpool had won the first division, but they've never won the Premier League, which is really when English football kind of changed. A lot more international players were brought in. Uh, it used to be just a lot of uh, white guys. Uh, and, and but when the Premier League started in the 90s, it really kind of changed the way English football is viewed. And the Premier League is probably uh, viewed as one of the most competitive and, and, and exciting and entertaining leagues to watch in, in, in the entire world. So if, if you're listening to this and maybe Tottenham, Liverpool, or Chelsea don't really tickle your fancy and you're thinking of other clubs to support, I'm not going to advocate for any of the other big six clubs. Um, but, you know, an, another option, and, and they're playing very well this season, is Leicester City. They won the title in the 16, was it, no, 15-16 season uh, after like, you know, finishing way down in the table a year before. Um, and they are probably one of the true underdog stories in Premier League history. Um, there's really no, nothing to compare it to in the United States because we've got multiple worst to first stories. You know, you even saw the Nationals this year, mid-May, we're in last place, come back and win the World Series. The same thing with the St. Louis Blues. You know, it, it, it's, it's not out of the question that a team like uh, the Cleveland Browns could go and win the Super Bowl. It's unlikely, but it's not out of the question. So when Leicester City won the Premier League, uh, and they're really not considered a big six club or even weren't even considered a, a mid-table club, they were going to be fighting for relegation every year when they won the Premier League. That was one of the, you know, the bigger stories in Premier League history. Now this year, they're having another great season. They're in third place and in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. They're playing right now. Um, and, and we'll probably be headed back to the Champions League. You finish in fourth place or better, you go to the Champions League the next season. Uh, we could explain the entire European system, but I think I don't know <laughs> if we have enough time for that today. Uh, but just know the Leicester City are doing well. I think that's a team that'd be worth supporting, and I'd advocate for them. Wolverhampton Wanderers, a team that just got back into the Premier League uh, last season, bought, brought in a bunch of really good players and are a really exciting team to watch. Um, they're in sixth place right now. Uh, tied a level on points with Manchester United, so they could crack into European football. Uh, Ad- was it uh, Adama Torres or Traore? Traore. Okay, he's been one of my favorite guys to watch yeah. in the league this year. He's been so much fun. I love he, him. He, he's been fun. You've got Everton, which are uh, used to be one of the best clubs in England. Um, rivals. They actually play right down the street from Liverpool. Um, and that's what you call a, a local a, a game between two local teams is a derby. So you have the Merseyside derby in Liverpool between Liverpool and Everton. Like I said, they play right down the street from each other. Um, but Everton have been uh, pretty bad as of late. They sit in 12th place this season. Uh, West Ham United is a club that uh, even though I don't really like them, I kind of have a soft spot for them. They're over I, in East London. Why do I have a soft spot for them? Yeah. Just because I know people that are like huge West Ham fans, but they play on the east side of London. Besides, you know, despite being called West Ham, um, they are uh, they always have they always have really good off seasons, but they always uh, it never works out for them once you get to the season. I always compare them to to the Mets, so you know I know we have Mets fans at the station. Maybe you could follow West Ham, but they could get relegated this year, by the way. And we're gonna get to that in a second. So be careful who you pick. One team that I've really enjoyed watching this year is Sheffield United. They just got called. They just got brought up this past or this season, and they are in seventh place. I mean, they're fighting for a chance to play 
European football next year. And they've just been a ton of fun with Chris Wilder as their coach, the overlapping center backs, Dean Henderson as their goalie is doing a phenomenal job. And as opposed to Liverpool, who scores a ton of goals and has a ridiculous goal differential, uh, Sheffield does not score a lot, but they'll suffocate you with solid defense. Yeah, for sure. And, and one last club. We're going to get into some of our uh, predictions here and, and talk about the league and, and the restart in just a second. Uh, a team that I've liked over the last few years, they got promoted to the Premier League for the first time in 15-16, or that was the first season they played in the Premier League, one of the smallest clubs in England, in, in England's top division. It's Bournemouth, um, very small stadium, very likable players, and a very likable manager in Eddie Howe. I always compare them to the Rays in terms of teams that punch above their weight class. But again, just like West Ham United, probably either Bournemouth or West Ham will be relegated this year. Um, I think both of those clubs would be huge candidates to get re-promoted the next season. Um, so just keep that in mind. Uh, you can watch a lot of championship games in the U.S. too if, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, but if you're trying to pick a team that's definitely not going to go down because there are only a few games left this season, we're not sure when the next season is going to start. It'd usually be starting in August, uh, towards the beginning of August, but probably not going to be until September, October, given that uh, the season won't be ending until the end of July now. Um, but yeah, any other clubs that we wanted to, I guess, give a shout out to? Newcastle United, maybe up north, if you want to root for a northern team. They could end up being really good. Uh, I think they're getting a change in ownership. Um, so they might end up bringing in some really good players. They used to be a very uh, successful team in England. But if you're looking for teams that have won the last few years, uh, Liverpool's going to win it this year. It's uh, all but said and done. They've got to win like they got to get like four more points from the next two mm-hmm. matches. Manchester City won it the two years before that, and then it was Chelsea, Leicester, Chelsea, uh, City, Manchester City, Manchester United won it a few years before that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want a team that wins, you, you really have to go to the big six and, and I won't, I won't judge you for it. I won't call you out for being a bandwagon fan or Unless a glory hunter. Actually, no, I'll, I'll feel bad yeah, for you if you, I pick. That's just, they're just, they're just a mid table team at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's talk about the premier league, which returned last week. And one of the first games, uh, Manchester city three, Arsenal zero, uh, Arsenal were, kind of on the verge of getting into the top four battle. Like I said, if you finish in the top four spots, you get a place in the Champions League for the next season, which is kind of like if you, if you had European playoffs um, between all the different leagues in Europe, that's the best way to describe it in, in one sentence. Arsenal are currently in 10th place. I think they were in ninth at the start when the restart uh, began, and, and they were somewhat in the battle for the top four. And after this result and, and the result they had over the weekend, uh, they're probably out of it. They were absolutely terrible. Manchester City, one of the most dynamic clinical teams in all of Europe, um, really put it, uh, gave it to them. David Luiz, one of Arsenal's center back, <laughs> they signed him from Chelsea, gets, gets subbed on, um, botches uh, an easy interception um, in the first half that led to a Manchester City goal, and then not long after uh, was sent off and, and gave away a penalty. It let City uh, kind of wrap up the game. Uh, Thought, thoughts on Arsenal? I mean, what what went wrong for them here? It's just the David Luiz. I mean, he had to get brought on because their other defender got um, he got injured early on in the games in the twentieth minute or so. So they had to bring on Luiz, and he just looked. He just wanted to nuke this game and get out of there. It seemed like so. I don't know. It was just his whole fault, and that's really where it came down to at the end. Citing um, journalistic integrity, I refuse to say anything about Arsenal because I will not be able to control myself. 
Um, apart from that, it's been a very long and difficult season for Arsenal. Um, the past two seasons, really, they've struggled uh, to find an identity under their new manager, um, bringing in players that are not really bringing in players to um, augment the um, issues that they've had where they just can't seem to find any form of result on either side of the pitch. Um, Arsenal has always been about theatrics. Um, the most popular, probably, marketing angle uh, that Arsenal has currently today is now known as AFTV because they were asked by the club to not use their former name, Arsenal Fan TV, um, where fans of other clubs and both fans of of the club will flock to their YouTube page after any major loss or draw or disappointment or shock uh, to see what um, fans, which is essentially just a rotating cast of character caricatures um, that follow the club, um, give their hot takes or call for someone to be sacked or sold to another club. Um, it's especially juicy if you see them vent their frustrations after a London Derby, such as the North London Derby, or a game at uh, Stanford Bridge. It yeah. is, uh, it's, it's good entertainment. That's all I, that's <laughs> all I really say. Um, but um, I, I don't, I don't think this is their year to, to put. <laughs> Definitely not. What, what do you guys think is next for David Luiz? His contract is running out at Arsenal. He forced to move out, uh, away from Chelsea on dead transfer deadline day, which is like the equivalent of the trade a trade deadline in the U.S. last summer, ghost. You know, right before the start of the season. What's next for him? Because I don't really think he's Premier League quality at this point in his career. But then, you know, some people are thinking, well, he could go to MLS, uh, where, you know, a lot of people view it as a, as a, like a retirement league, which I don't think it is. But I am questioning whether or not he's good enough to play in MLS. You, you know, there's some very talented defenders in the United States. The only true, so, ML, or the only true Premier League retirement home is Italy. And uh, China. And China. China yeah. But I don't, think, I don't think anybody from China – actually, eh, anything is possible – They'll, they'll throw him like a sixty million dollar a million euro contract. Somebody will. You know, I, I can see him going Tigers to China. Team. I can yeah, see. I, I honestly see him more likely than not going to Italy for a few years, and then once he's had his fair share of Italian sun, he'll he'll go over to uh, the states if he doesn't immediately go to China. What about uh, a German I, club? I don't know. Is that uh, out of the no ordinary? No, yeah. no I don't way. know. The Bundes is, is for young kids who want to make a name for themselves to make money in other places in Europe. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I think what's going to happen to David Luiz is, is he's going to think he's got this contract coming through from either from Arsenal or from another club in Europe or anywhere else that he, he's probably going to think he's worth more than he actually is. And if he holds that belief for too long, he's going to end up getting stuck with a really uh, you know, bad contract that he's going to have to just settle for. Um, but if he recognizes that he's in the twilight of his career, or at least the twilight of his you know, career where he can still be a productive player, he's going to have to either take a smaller contract and, and, and stay in the top league or move on and, and, and figure out what works best. But, uh, yeah, not going well for Arsenal. David Luiz's time is almost up there. Uh, Manchester City, though, how clinical were they? They fit three goals past Arsenal. The next game, can, well, next can big we, game. Can we mention what the other game from the opening day of play there, the Aston Villa-Sheffield game? Real quick. Yeah. I think I know what you want to talk oh. about. Real quick, let's talk about it. How? Okay, so to give people the idea of what happened, it was a 0-0 game all throughout the Aston Villa-Sheffield game, and then a free kick was given to Sheffield. 
they kick the ball and the ball starts heading towards the net. The goalkeeper for Villa catches the ball and uh, gets bumped by his teammate back into the net. The ball completely crosses the goal line or is what we think completely crossed the goal line and what we saw on television. It looks like it did. But the refs ruled it a no call and no VAR stepped in and their goal line technology was just absent. I'm as the new person here. How in the world does this not get reviewed? What is the one thing stopping them? Yeah, because, you know, and, and for more context, VAR is the Premier League's rendition of instant replay, like you see in the U.S., mm-hmm. but it's not always the referee, you know, watching the, the review himself. It's more similar to what Major League Baseball does, where they call it into an actual video assistant referee, an, an actual another referee that watches back the the uh, the play and, and makes a decision. Now, the what it's supposed to do, and it says it in the in the rules, I guess what you'd say, uh, that the video assistant referee is not supposed to re-legislate what happened on the field. They're just supposed to clarify anything that the referee could not see in real time. Now, what England has had, and, and this is um, the Premier League's first season with VAR. It's been introduced. It was in the World Cup. It's been around in Europe and some other leagues for a few years now. Uh, but it was England's first because there's a lot of controversy with it. Like like I said, sometimes people think the video assistant referee is re-legislating or just completely making a call not based on anything the referee saw on the field in real time. That's upsetting a lot of people. I think there's a lot of great arguments as to the, the problems with VAR. I think it's helped a lot of things too, as like, like offside. But one thing that England's had for a long time now is goal line decision or goal line technology, where anytime there's an issue and the, and the ball has to fully cross the goal line, not just you know in football, as soon as you break the plane, the plane is the full line that's painted across the goal line. And if the ball does not cross it fully, it's not a goal. But England has goal line technology as to, you know, if, if there's a, a, a situation where it's in question whether or not the ball crossed the line entirely, the referee gets a buzz on their, like, smartwatch that they wear to say, was it a goal or was it not a goal? And this is technology that's never been criticized. It's never failed. And for some reason, in this game, it didn't work. And so my guess as to what happened is video assistant referee – there's never been a precedent as to where they've had to look at a decision or whether or not the ball has crossed the line. That's supposed to be done for them. That's mm-hmm. not even a person looking at that. That's just a computer system that can determine whether or not the ball crossed the line. So when you get into this situation, there's no precedent for VAR to step in and say, whoa, whoa, whoa that was a goal. Now, I agree, there should have been. There should be a, a, something set in place to where if the technology fails, because it didn't take long for the broadcast and for the fans to watch it back on replay and say, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a goal. That ball clearly crossed the line. Um, but w- with, without that, you know, obviously the goal didn't stand and, and uh, it goes on to be a nil-nil draw, which could really hurt uh, Sheffield United. Soccer yeah. wins again, baby. Nil-nil. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Moving on to the next big uh, game from last weekend, uh, Tottenham Hotspur won Manchester United, won uh, Man United really in the thick of things in the top four race. Uh, they sit in fifth currently in the table. Spurs, a little bit like Arsenal, were kind of they were on the outside looking in, but it was not they weren't in the thick of things. Like I said with Manchester United, they were a little further back, but could really have used three points. Uh, they, they brought in new manager Jose Mourinho earlier this season, and uh, the the uh, performances have been up and down. They've got a lot of talented players. They were dealing with an injury. They weren't expecting to see their main striker Harry Kane 
uh, one of the best strikers in England, returned it all for this season. With the break happening, he was able to get fit, get back in the team, and he played for them last weekend. But, Sebastian, I'll let, I'll let you kind of speak on this one. Disappointed with the result? Did you felt it was well-deserved? Or do you feel like maybe they, they stole a point in this one? Uh, first of all, I'd like to give a huge shout-out to uh, Stephen Bergewin. Our new yeah. signing from uh, from January. You know, a lot of people didn't give him a chance. Only thirty three million dollars. It's kind of like a classic Spurs signing, where it's like, okay, he's a little band aid type thing, uh, type player, um, to kind of keep us tied it over until we can make top four, and then um, maybe we'll sign maybe one player or two players, depending if we want to break with the bank or not. Um, but um, he he put in major work against United, you know, um, scored the opening goal in the first half on the 23rd minute or the 27th, 23rd. Um, And um, played his heart out all, all the game. Um, I'm disappointed in the draw um, for him specifically, but um, I'm not really surprised at Kane's tepid start. Kane, uh, Harry seems to consistently get one, sizable injury per season over the past three or four seasons and um he's always very very lukewarm um and takes a, a couple of weeks to finally warm up and enter that kind of harry kane mode that you've seen um as part of the english side or the um or the spurs side when he's scoring week in and week out um i would like to see you know um a greater effort by the rest of the team but i, I think that'll get there in time now the big question is, will you see uh, the team make top five? Because it's not, unlike um, in years before, it's not top four that reaches the Champions League this year. It's top five because you can exempt uh, Manchester City. Uh, for now. Because of, for now. Because they of might the get that returned. Reversed, uh, I mean. Yeah. That is I don't true. think it's likely. but I don't think it's likely either. So I'm going to go with top five. Um, it's a it's a shout. I believe it is um, top five right now is Manchester United and um, Spurs are two points back or four points back. Um, if they can just their next game is actually in twenty minutes um, against um, West Ham. It's all about winning games that uh, Spurs should win. Uh, it's a problem with. Um, with Tottenham, sometimes they'll draw against teams that they absolutely should win against and um, obviously lose against uh, the big six matches that are um, sometimes expected. You know, you can't go into uh, Liverpool and expect the win against um, <clears throat> that side, especially this season, which has been all but untouchable, really. Um, I thought I would see uh, Brooks's smug face from Wisconsin if uh, they would have actually gone defeated, undefeated through this season, it was bad we were enough. trying to get Brooks on the show this week, and he he was at work. We're gonna we might get him on next week. Maybe yeah. when Liverpool clinch the title, maybe I'll let. Oh him, uh, my god! Yeah, I'd rather, I, I'd rather not. But spare us the smug, to. please. I'm begging you, Brett. Spare us the smug. As an Don't. unbiased radio host, I think I have to let Brooks on. If oh, Brooks God. can't bring the smug, I'll bring it for him. Don't worry. Oh. <laughs> See, I can. The thing is, is that I can. I can reasonably drive to Miami and throttle you if you're smug. <laughs> I can't do that if he's in Wisconsin. That is true. All right. Well, moving on. Uh, Brighton beat Arsenal over the weekend, so Arsenal <laughs> lose their first two games back. They win two to one after a last-minute goal from Neil Malpe, 
and uh, now Brighton is still tied with Leicester at the time of recording in the 87th minute, nil-nil. Um, Chelsea Ashton Villa, we'll talk briefly about this one because I think for an American audience, uh, the performance of Christian Pulisic is one to be noted. So Chelsea trailed uh, going into halftime 1-0 to Ashton Villa. Christian Pulisic enters the game as a substitute in the second half. Uh, and then a few minutes later, somehow Chelsea are up 2-1. First goal came from Pulisic. Uh, after a cross from uh, Cesar Azpilicueta, uh, Pulisic found the net, got all the way in on the far post, and he, he buried it into an empty net. And uh, he played very, very well for the rest of the match, really kind of helped Chelsea rejuvenate their game in the second half. Christian Pulisic, it took him a while to break into the Chelsea lineup at the start of the season. But when he did, he was starting consistently and he was playing incredible, incredible soccer. Uh, scored a hat-trick against Burnley earlier this season and had picked up, I think, six or seven goals before he got injured again in January February and had not played um, uh, you know, before the break. And so he's had an even longer layoff. It's been longer than any off season that any soccer players would even hope to uh, get to enjoy because most soccer off seasons are only a couple months. Um, but Pulisic was back. He didn't start, which I thought was probably, I wanted him to start, but I understood why he didn't. And he ended up playing very, very well. And at this point he needs to start. He's, he's one of Chelsea's better players. They went with Ruben Loftus-Cheek at left wing um, against Villa and it just didn't really work out very well given Ruben Loftus-Cheek also coming back from injury. But Christian Pulisic, one of Chelsea's best players, uh, one of their best playmakers, and, and turning into one of their best goal scorers at this point in time. Um, so Christian Pulisic, uh, hats off to him. What's going to happen next season? Because I know you guys obviously stole Timo Werner right from under Liverpool this, uh, this a few weeks ago. Where do you expect Pulisic to stand when Werner, Werner comes in? So Werner, one of the hottest center forwards on the transfer market signed with Chelsea from RB Leipzig. Um, so he'll be joining the Premier League. He can play as a striker, but also on the left wing. Um, Tammy Abraham and Olivier Giroud are Chelsea's two main strikers right now. They play in a one striker formation. I, I, I think you're going to see formations in which Werner plays on the left wing, but you're also going to see a lot of times where he plays a striker and him and Tammy Abraham are going to fight for minutes. Frank Lampard has proven that he will play players based on how well they've done in training. And I think that'll leave plenty of minutes either for Pulisic on the left wing. He can also play on the right wing and he can also play as a number 10, like a central attacking um, midfielder. If Pulisic is playing well enough, he won't struggle to find minutes. Mm -hmm. Now he's going to have to play at an extremely high level because I think Chelsea are going to be extremely competitive and talented team next year in domestically and in Europe. So they're not going to be given to him, um, but he's definitely, if he's good enough and he's playing like he has been when he's been healthy at Chelsea this year, he'll have no problem breaking into the first team. And I think anyone, cause I even, even before he like played this weekend, a bunch of people clamoring for him to already leave Chelsea. This is his first season with Chelsea, his first season in England. And I think it's a lot of American fans that want him to be able to play 90 minutes every single week. Uh, which isn't necessarily the best thing for his development. Obviously, you want him to play and keep developing as a player, so he plays better for the United States. Um, but I think he's just fine at Chelsea. Again, I am biased. But, uh, yeah, Christian Pulisic, really the star of the show once he came on uh, for Chelsea, and, and Chelsea got a huge win. They remain in fourth place. They are five points clear of Manchester United at the time of recording. They play this Thursday against Manchester City. And I believe United have Sheffield, Manchester United have Sheffield United later this week as well. The last uh, somewhat big match, or it was a big match, but it didn't 
turn out to be one. Um, Everton, nil. Liverpool, nil. Liverpool, if they had won this, they could have clinched the title in their next match. They dropped two points um, against Everton at Goodison Park, right down the street from their home stadium. And uh, what was really an uneventful game in one of the most historic rivalries in England. Gary, how disappointed were you in Liverpool this weekend? I was fairly disappointed, but you can understand because these guys have been off for this three-month break and they haven't been able to keep up the kind of momentum that they had because Liverpool had this unbelievable momentum throughout the whole season where they were just able to run through teams and do what they want with them. And so, I mean, they control the possession battle like they usually do 67 to 33. But the one thing is that Liverpool just did not, it just felt like they didn't have the same amount of chances or the same quality of chances that they usually do. And Everton, down the, even at the beginning and at the end, they were getting some chances where I was starting to get scared right inside the goal box, right inside uh, 10 meters or so, that they were giving Becker a run for his money. And I was worried that there was going to be a minute here where Everton was going to get their first win against Liverpool since 2010, I believe. So it was certainly a nerve-wracking game, and credit to Carlo Ancelotti. He did a good job of man- managing this team and t- uh, picking his uh, opportunities to strike when he did because – they really did feel like they were big ones when they, even when they missed. Yeah, and uh, Liverpool still in pole position to, mm-hmm. to finish off the Premier League. Uh, City have won the last two years, so Liverpool probably going to win their first Premier League title this year. Yeah, sad, so that, sad that this Wednesday wasn't going to be the coronation date against Palace, and that would have been nice because it would have been in Anfield regardless of fans or not. I think Everton are happy that it just didn't happen at Goodison Park. Yes. yes and if Liverpool hadn't lost, um, who they uh, they lost to Watford, right? Yeah, Watford. It it, it would have happened at Goodison mm-hmm. Park if That's they the if they had sure. won. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Everton fans, even though there were no fans in attendance, were happy that it didn't happen there at Goodison Park. Let's run through some some predictions. Uh, like I said, whoever finishes 18th, 19th, and 20th place in the Premier League gets relegated to the Championship and have a long, hard fight to get back into the league. So I'll run through my um, predictions for who's going to get relegated. In 20th, I've got Norwich City. They've been just terrible this season. I love their striker, Timu Puki. I love the club. They have a partnership with the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Um, they've loaned players to the Rowdies, but only five wins so far through 30 games. They haven't been as bad as some teams that you see in 20th in, in recent years, but, but they've been bad nonetheless. In 19th, I'm going to go with Aston Villa. They are sitting in 19th right now, only seven wins and 26 points from 30 games. Their best player is Jack Grealish, and if you watched him play in the game against Chelsea, I don't think he's tough enough to be uh, the front man for a club in the Premier League. Not to say that he can't have a successful Premier League career, um, but he's one of Aston Villa's only scoring outlets, and uh, he just goes to ground way too easily. I think he could fit in in a team – like Spurs, and that's not a knock against Spurs, but the, where they have more options and other outlets, and I think he probably just fits in as a as, as just a, a team player on a club like at a club like that. But Villa also just haven't been good enough. And then the last one, it's really between a few other clubs: uh, Watford, West Ham, and Bournemouth. You could see Brighton drop down, although they did just secure a point against Leicester City. That match is over with now. I'm going to go with West Ham United. I don't, I just think David Moyes, when they brought in David Moyes, that wasn't the best decision. Desperate. I don't that think, screams desperation for me. So desperate. He's not quite good enough anymore. He used to be a, a formidable manager in the Premier League, and it's just not going to work out for them. And they, they flirted with relegation in the past few years, but usually have a run of form that gets them out of it. 
I don't see that coming this year. I, th- I think Bournemouth will do just well enough to keep them above water. I trust in Eddie Howe as a manager a little more than David Moyes. And uh, West Ham United, who have been a staple in the Premier League, the last time they were relegated was 2011, I want to say. Uh, I think they'll be going back down to the championship this year. What do you guys got? I'm going to go with the same thing you have. I mean, I just, like you said, I don't know David Moyes' pedigree as well as you guys, but from the the body of work that I've seen from him this season, it just hasn't been enough to instill any sort of confidence in me that he can have this team in the place where it needs to be in the final few games. And their next two games are pretty tough, aren't they? They play Tottenham and Chelsea. So they're not necessarily the easiest ones. And it's going to be pretty sad watching them play at the Olympic Stadium in the championship. <laughs> Yeah, they've got they, they're using the the Olympic Stadium that London used back in 2012. They left Upton Park, their old ground. And uh, yeah, sad. Like I said, I have a little bit of a soft spot for West Ham's, but I I just don't think they've deserved to stay up this year. There are good managers, there are bad managers, and then there's absolute meme tier managers. And Moyes is without a doubt in that third category. That was such like a desperate play. Like I know, I know Moyes as a comical character before I know him as a as a manager. <laughs> really, really, why is that? I don't. I'm not familiar with him, so I don't know. He, he's like just, I said, he's not good, dude. He he's not good to the point where it's like, it's very funny. Like I saw that, and my first reaction was actually the laugh. And then I was like, wait, no, you're serious. That's not just like a tier three rumor that someone brought in. It. It's oh man, I don't even know where to begin with this man. What's the worst thing he's done as a head coach? Let's just say that, or the thing that stands out, his one moment. I I can't, I can't pick one. Okay, real real quick, we've got some breaking news. We mentioned Uh it earlier on in the podcast, and it hasn't been confirmed yet. And and soccer rumors are not always the most uh, believable. (laughs) It sounds like David Luiz has signed a contract extension with Arsenal. Um, so uh, I guess he's staying and I will say for, if I'm going to say one thing on behalf of David Luiz because I loved him during his time at Chelsea I'm not a fan of the way he left the club uh, he is a leader and uh, I don't think he's good enough on the field but maybe if Arsenal value him enough to keep him around in the dressing room uh, they're going to find some value there as well but yeah that's some, some breaking news on again we're not doing this live so you might already know this by the time you're listening but uh, pretty funny stuff I'm texting my Arsenal friend right now. <laughs> Sebastian, you have relegation predictions? Uh, for me, it's, it, I think uh, Aston has a great chance of scrambling out of that bottom three position today with a game against New... Er, not today, but um, tomorrow with a match against Newcastle. If they could yeah. um, run away with a 1-0 victory, um, that puts them at 29 points. And I... This this is going to sound like I, I've sounded biased all day today, but if um, I, I firmly believe that the Spurs can actually win this game against uh, West Ham, and that'll knock them back down into the bottom three, if um, if Aston pulls something out against uh, Newcastle, and I think the um, the bottom three will remain kind of like that will reflect that until the um, end of the season. I just I don't see these three squads. Um, magically, you know, coming back to life and putting Watt forward or a Southampton in the hot seat anytime soon. And then real quick, we'll do our top four, I guess top five, if we're assuming that Manchester City are banned from the Champions League. That's a whole other story. Again, not going to go into major detail with that, but they've been uh, 
might have been breaking the rules a little bit. So they might be banned, which would mean the top five teams from England get into the Champions League. Or all you have to do is get fifth because Manchester City are already in the are in second place. So not the top five teams, but it would still be the, the top four teams minus Manchester City. So uh, I've I've got – I guess we'll do this from first to all, down to fifth because that's probably the more climactic way to do it. Um, I've got Liverpool winning the title. They would have to, I mean, I mean, lose almost every game for that to not be possible. Manchester City, uh, they looked way too good to, to slip out of second place, and it would take a lot for them to do that. Uh, they've won their first two games by a combined score of 8-0. Eight, uh, eight so they look – they might be the best team. Um, in out of the restart, they're very clinical. They're healthy. Although Sergio Aguero might be out for the rest of the season, what Manchester City has done to kind of build this this mini dynasty that they've put together, they've got a good. They've got players that could start across the Premier League um, at every position and, and two for each position. So even when a guy like Aguero goes down, they got Gabriel Jesus that can step in and uh, play striker. And, uh, yeah, I'd watch out for them in the Champions League when that restarts. I'm sure we'll do a Champions League episode as well once we get into uh, August. I think August 7th is when the Champions League is back, and it's got a little bit of an altered format. So we'll talk about that maybe when we get closer. Um, In third place, I've got Chelsea. And uh, the result that Leicester City just had kind of helps with that case. Leicester City sitting third right now at 55 points. Uh, Chelsea uh, sitting fourth at 51 points with a game in hand, so they can be just one point back from Leicester City and Leicester City just haven't been that great since returning. And now they might be knocking the rust off, but they haven't been able to score goals. Their left back, Ben Ben Chilwell scored in the 90th minute um, against Watford in their last match. And they failed to score a goal today against Brighton and Hove Albion. Chelsea struggled uh, with their goal scoring opportunities early on against Villa, but really turned it on in the second half. They might struggle with City this week, um, but I think Chelsea are good enough to, to kick it into the next gear. They haven't lost in their last four matches. I know there's a break included in there, uh, but I've got Chelsea finishing third for the second year in a row. Then I've got Leicester City in fourth. Um, they're very good. I know people always say the year they won the title, they were a good team, but it was a, it was a little bit of flukiness involved. This year, I don't think there's really any flukiness involved. I think they're a very solid team. They're, they've got the you know all the parts if they want to compete in the Champions League again next year. I know they went pretty far in it the first year in the league, in, in the Champions League, and uh, they got to be very happy with the season they've had with Brendan Rodgers in charge. And then coming in fifth, I've got Manchester United, um, a team that was really going through it earlier this year. They've got a former player, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, um, in, uh, as their manager, but now it seems like things are clicking. I know they brought in some talented players in January. And they're a really dangerous team. I know Wolverhampton Wanderers, or Wolves as they're more commonly known, are going to give them a run for their money. But I've got Wolves finishing just short. And and United, um, if City remain banned from the Champions League, being the last team from England to qualify. Uh, Gary, we'll throw it to you. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Liverpool at first. Uh, Bold take. Bold take. Uh, Man City's second. I'm going to keep Leicester at fourth there. I kind of like the remaining schedule Leicester has, and if they can just catch a spark, if Vardy can just get hot and catch some of that magic that he had early on in the season, they really can keep up there at third. Chelsea at fourth, uh, they have a little bit more. I wouldn't. You, I don't know, Brett. Would you say that they have a little bit more of the tougher schedule compared to Leicester coming down the stretch here? Because I know they <sighs> – I don't know. I, from what I just looked, I, it, it looks a little bit tougher, in my opinion. Yeah, it might be. It yeah, might be. so that's going to be my main reason there. And then 
At fifth, I'm going to put in Wolves. I like Wolves a lot. They've been a lot of fun to watch this season, not only because I just don't like Manchester City, but I like Wolves and how they've been playing. So let's go with Liverpool, City, Leicester, Chelsea, Wolves. And then I would have chosen Sheffield to be fifth if they got that win against Villa. But I think that, that draw against Villa really just took the wind out of their sails at the, for this restart. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I agree with you there. Um, it, it's going to be tight. And, and mm-hmm. I think, in all, like, which is a little bit sad about the Premier League. Like, you've gotta, you, you don't finish with a championship game like you do in a lot of other sports in Liverpool. And it has happened in most years. A team runs away with the title well before the season's even over. Liverpool's had it wrapped up since like February, and we're now in uh, in June. We're going to finish in July. So, the best the best matches and the best competition you, you usually see either fighting for the top four, or fighting to uh, not be relegated. So, makes things I guess somewhat more interesting. But you'd rather see there be a bit a really good title race like there was last year between Manchester City and Liverpool. Mm-hmm. But Sebastian, top four, top five predictions, and then we'll wrap this thing up. I know we're going to be well over an hour already. For me, the top three is, is a lock. You know, you have the front runners up in one and two. I don't think that'll ever change. Um, Chelsea will overtake Leicester. I, I, it's it's par for the course. For me, I'm, I've am i been, as someone with a dog in that fight, five, six, seven, eight is infinitely more interesting because it's also just uh, way smaller margins. Uh, the difference between fifth and, n- fifth and ninth is all but four points. That is a win and a draw. If you get two wins, you're in. You're you're going to. If you can get two wins on everybody else, you're going to Europe. Uh, right. With that in mind, um, it really comes down to who can stay healthy, which sounds utterly bizarre coming out of a what is what what was a three month break, um, and who can stay hot. Um, Crystal Palace, strangely enough, is on an upward trend. Four wins out of their past five games. Um, Spurs, as much as I'd like to see them push into Europe, have been relatively stagnant. I know there's been a, a, a rather large gap in, in between their last uh, game, but they are all healthy, on the other hand. Um, while some of their, play, their, their main men, such as Harry Kane, have been tepid, um, I am convinced that he can warm up before August and really help that team uh, push mm, into okay. fifth or sixth. Um, so that boils down to where in the world will Sheffield and Wolves um, end up landing. And I'm not sure. Um, Sheffield do have uh, United as their next fixture. And uh, that, for me, will be the make or break uh, for them. Wolves, I'm infinitely less um, optimistic about. Uh, I, I'm not saying that Wolves are a bad side. The, what they've done this season is nothing short of uh, incredible, really taking it to um, the upper half of the Premier League table, specifically those top seven slots, and um, putting on a show. You know, I am forever uh, grateful for their performance against Liverpool. Um, I don't think we ever would have ever heard the end of uh, this season had it not been for at least you, that. You mean, Wat- you mean Watford? Wait, oh, I'm sorry. Wat- we lost Watford. To- Watford was the Watford loss. was like three to one. That and then was, we- in- yeah, that was. We've only drawn with Manchester United and um, Everton. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I got mine. You're good. My W's your crossed mid, up. Your mid-table club's confused. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
I well, Watford aren't looking too hot. Only 28 points. How'd you guys lose to Watford? Uh, that game, yeah. I remember that thread, that post-game. Lovren, Lovren, that's it. <laughs> there you go. It's Sebastian, it's earlier this season, Tottenham lost to Colchester United in a League Cup. I'm like, not, yeah. yeah. I mean, but this Mickey Mouse trophies <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> you say it yourselves. One um, loss and everyone gets on you, but one loss to Colchester and everyone, nope, don't look at that one. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, anyways, no. anyways, I feel attacked. <laughs> I was not ready for that. Oh well. You tried to take you gotta, a shot. Yeah, you tried to dish it out, and I got and I got to take it in stride. It's exactly. like, yeah. That being said, everybody on that squad was dead that week. I remember mm-hmm. that now. See, I repressed that from my memory for very specific mm-hmm. reasons. All right. Well, with London that... clubs and banter, name a more iconic duo. And we're going to see uh, right now about to watch Tottenham and West Ham play in a, in a really big game in terms of the European football race as well as the relegation battle. So we've just made all these predictions that that could completely change in the next two hours. But uh, I hope you enjoyed our, our Premier League-centric episode of, of, of Tomahawk Talk. We don't get to do it often. And so when we get the chance to do it, when there's not a whole lot else going on, we're really going to pile on. Uh, I guess if you made it this far into the episode, you, you enjoyed it. So I'm glad you're listening. Uh, that is going to do it this week for Tomahawk Talk. We are trying to get trivia back probably next week. Uh, I'll take the blame for that one for not having it ready for this week. And we like it when there's a few more than just two other people on the show to do trivia. But we're going to try our best to have that back next week. Get some maybe some fresh voices on here. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys next week for – Sebastian Angeliano and Gary Putnick. I'm Brett Rutherford, and I'll talk to you guys next week.